you you better watch out. You better not cry. And you better not pout. I'm telling you why. Because Santa Claus is coming to town. He uh, is making a list. Checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and who's nice. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good. You better watch out. This is a classic. This is just a classic. I mean, everybody knows this song, right? I mean, the way that I said it, everybody's like, oh my gosh. This is part of our Christmas tradition. And you better watch out and you better be good. Why? Because the guy with the presents is coming into town. And if you've been bad, you don't get any. But if you're good, then you do. So be good. This is, this is just expressing the fundamental principle of justice within our Christmas tradition. You reap what you sow. So it's a good idea to be good. You may remember a few weeks back that we looked at the book of Job and observed that, that God is not ruling the universe right now according to this principle of strict justice, but instead according to the principle of his perfect wisdom. In other words, sometimes good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people and there's no guarantee that you're going to get what you deserve here and now. And God has good and wise reasons for running the universe this way for the time being. However, I'd like to point out this week, as you're all well aware of, that just because there's no guarantee of justice, it doesn't mean that justice is altogether absent from the world, and it doesn't mean that justice is somehow a bad thing. In fact, oftentimes we do actually reap what we sow, don't we? In fact, a lot of the Proverbs are built on this principle. For example, Proverbs 24, 23. In all toil, there is profit. But mere talk tends only to poverty. So, if you're going to put your hand to the plow, it's going to bear some fruit. But if you're just going to sit around talking all day, you're not going to earn any income. Or, Proverbs 14, 14. A good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. So even if God withholds strict justice for a season, generally speaking, we still see the principle of of justice at work in the world, and we pursue it because we value it, don't we? We value justice. We perceive that it is good that personal actions are met with a corresponding compensation. We care about fairness, and rightly so. Could you imagine a world in which we didn't care about fairness? We use justice as the principle that we employ in our attempts to set our wages. Nobody wants to make an unfair wage. We use it to uh, govern our court system. At least we do our best to use justice. We use justice to try to govern the way that we do our legislation and our schools. Even the Pledge of Allegiance ends with this final phrase, we value 
liberty and justice for all. We value it because it's a good thing. So even if God is not governing the world right now according to the strict principle of justice, it doesn't mean that he is somehow against justice, and it doesn't mean that we should be against it. In fact, last week we read in, in Psalm 33.5, all the Lord's work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. Nobody loves justice like God loves justice. And because He loves it, He still puts it on display in the world and moves our hearts to see the goodness of justice. So, Santa Claus is coming to town, isn't violating any rule of the universe, it's not proclaiming anything false. In fact, it's celebrating one of the most fundamental principles in creation, namely... Be good, and you will receive compensation on the basis of your goodness. This is simply justice. And it's the good and the righteous principle that governed the law of Moses. Interesting enough. Turn with me, if you will, to Leviticus chapter 18. I don't know how much time you have spent in Leviticus recently, but I want you to open your Bible and go there. Because we're going to do some reading. Actually, we're going to do a lot of reading this morning. And I want you to set your eyes on the text. So open your Bible or open your application on your I something. And go to Leviticus chapter 18. I'm going to read the first five verses. It goes like this. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules If a person does them, he shall live by them, or on the basis of them. I am the Lord. Life is gained on the the basis of obedience to God's commands. That's the principle of Leviticus 18.5. I submit to you, it is one of the most important verses in the Bible. You should know Leviticus 18.5. It is quoted and alluded to repeatedly through both the Old and the New Testaments because it summarizes the way that righteousness is obtained under the law of Moses. In fact, Romans chapter 10 verse 5 says this. Here's Paul. He says, Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. Want to know about righteousness that's based on law? Here it is. And he quotes Leviticus 18.5. The person who does the commandments shall live by having done. So if you want to use the law in order to gain righteousness, then Leviticus 18.5 is the summary statement of the law's method of obtaining righteousness. It is gained by doing what is right. Doing 
what God commands. So here's what I want to do. I want to go to the Old Testament. I want to explain the meaning of Leviticus 18.5 in the context of the Old Testament. And then I want to talk about how it relates to Christmas. Does that sound interesting to you? I don't know if that sounds interesting to you, but uh, I love this topic. So I hope that you find this interesting. In Leviticus 18, Israel is camped out at Mount Sinai. They were there for about a year. I don't know if you realize that. Israel does not leave Sinai until Numbers chapter 10, verse 11, I think. So Israel's camped out at Sinai, and God is expounding upon the stipulations and the sanctions of his covenant agreement with Israel. That covenant that was ratified on Mount Sinai. He's now going into what are the conditions for gaining the promises. And what will happen if the conditions are met or if the conditions are not met. And if you want to summarize the gist of this agreement, we could say it like this. And I'm, we're going to just read, we're going to, I'm going to give you the summary and then we're just going to read it. So here's the summary. Your geopolitical national existence, Israel, in the promised land is contingent upon your obedience to my statutes, the Lord says, my law. If you obey me, I will bless your nation with a long and prosperous life in the land. And if you disobey me, I will curse your nation and exile you from this land away from my presence. In Leviticus 18.5, that little verse provides a snapshot of this principle. Do and live. It's the Santa method of acceptance, I'll say. Good people get good things. This is justice. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a few extended sections of the Old Testament. A couple sections in Leviticus, a couple sections in Deuteronomy, like a couple, like a few chapters. So we're just going to do, the, 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 Paul tells Timothy, uh, give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So that's part of what we're going to do today. This is really, I think, going to help you set up a framework for reading your Bible. Because as you see, this is a key to understanding how the Old Testament unfolds. This is the key to understanding Israel's relationship to their land. This is a key to understanding Israel's history. This is a key to understanding Israel's exile from the land. It's a key to understanding what Christ has done. And it's a key to understanding the gospel message. So it's worth a few chapters. I'm going to start in 18.1, read the first five verses again, and then I'm going to jump to verse 24. Here we go. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel, say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now, he gives a bunch of rules about sexual interaction. And then verse 24. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am... I'm sorry. By all 
These, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean. So, uh, so that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who does them, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 26. This is just the summary now. And we're going to read it. You're gonna, uh, we're going to just read it and we're going to read it and we're going to read it because I want you to feel the weight of the law. You got to feel this. Verse 20 uh, verse 1 chapter 26. You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar. You shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season and the land shall yield its increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. There's going to be reaping taking place all year long. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down. And none will make you afraid, and I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you. Okay, that's right from Genesis 1. There's a fulfillment of humanity's creative purpose that happens if Israel is faithful to this and i will confirm my covenant with you the lord says verse 10 you shall eat old store long kept and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new i will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you and i will walk among you and will be your god and you shall be my people i am the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt that you should not be their slaves, and I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you erect. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. 
And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power. And I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength will be spent in vain for your land shall not yield its increase. And the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Then... If you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads shall be deserted. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will then I also will walk contrary to you and I myself will strike you with sevenfold of your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. Okay, this, is the, this is the deal. This is the covenantal deal. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you. And you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven and shall dole out your bread again by weight and shall eat and not be satisfied. One more paragraph here. But if in spite of all this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. And I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And I will destroy your high places, and cut down your incense altars, and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols. And my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste, and will make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not smell your pleasing aromas. That's the sacrificial system. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations. And I will unsheath the sword after you. And your land shall be a devastation. And your cities shall be a waste. This is the word of the Lord. This is the law. I want you to flip to Deuteronomy. We're going to... We're going to do about 30 more verses. I don't know if you've I don't know if you've read this. Have you, has anybody read this? Anybody read Leviticus recently or Deuteronomy? Okay, a few hands. Mostly not. This is good. Okay, we need this. Believe me, not because I want this to rest on you all day, but we need to feel it. We need to feel it. Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to do the first. 24 verses. Okay. Chapter 28, verse 1. And if you faithfully obey... Okay, wait, let me say this. So they've now left Sinai. So they've been out of Egypt for a year. They wander for 39 years at this point. And they are now about to go into the land. And the Lord says, before we go in, let me remind you of the deal. So here it is. They're about to go in, and Moses says, 28.1, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. 
The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you uh, one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land and the Lord your God that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you and the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your father to your fathers to give you the Lord will open to you his good treasury the heavens to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands and you shall lend to the many nation to many nations but you shall not borrow And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall be shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of, the, of, of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. And it just goes on and on. From, from here, it just goes on and on. And on and on. One more. This one's short. Chapter 30. Chapter 30, starting in verse 15. After he's after he's said it said it all now. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Life, death, blessing, curse, favor, wrath. It's the expanded meaning of Leviticus 18.5. It's the embodiment of the do and live principle. And that's how the good, righteous, and just law worked. It was the ultimate example of a justice system at the national geopolitical level. But the thing about justice that we just saw is that it's a 
double-edged sword. It is good and righteous and it, it upholds what ought to be. And because of that, it delivers judgment on those who have failed to meet the standard. Justice will declare you not guilty in the courtroom of God and it will reward you if you're upright, but it will condemn you and it will punish you if you're not. And in Israel's case, they were unable to maintain this. They were unable to maintain obedience and therefore the righteous and just law brought condemnation upon their nation. They were under the curse. We just read Israel's history. This is exactly what happened. Because the righteous and just law brought condemnation upon them. They suffered the curse. They were exiled from the land. They were taken into captivity by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom of Israel, uh, went into exile, was taken into captivity by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And if you want to read about the devastation of what happened to Israel, just read the book of Lamentations. They ate their children. Everything that the Lord said would happen, happened because they came under the curse of God's wrath. But we need to be careful now that we don't grow arrogant over and against Israel. Because Israel is not alone in her failure. I mean, she may have put human sinfulness on display at the national level, but this isn't merely a story about a nation's ability to maintain land in the Middle East, is it? This is my story. And this is your story. Because there is a law that is more fundamentally ingrained into the fabric of creation than the law of Moses. And every human being is born under it. We all have some awareness of it. Romans 2.15 says that our consciences bear witness to it. Sometimes they accuse us because we're not meeting the standard. We have a subjective sense of moral obligation in this world that has been written onto our hearts. We are all born under law. And so this God who is worthy of our praise and obedience, is so worthy of our praise and obedience, and His justice is so perfect that even one slip will merit a punishment far worse than expulsion from the land of Canaan. Far worse than what we just read. Israel's story is an object lesson in what happens when God demands that sinners obtain life on the basis of their personal Obedience, and the result is always condemnation. Justice is good. The law is good, righteous, upright, but we are not good. Which means that when it comes to gaining a favorable verdict, when it comes to hearing not guilty, or the word that the, that the Bible uses is justified, when it comes to being justified, in the courtroom of God, gaining His favor, gaining His embrace, law that is working for compensation does not bring blessing. It brings curse. And according to Romans 4.15, the law brings wrath. And that's our story. 
It's my story and your story. We came into this world under a law that we could not keep, and therefore we, like Israel, were by nature under the wrath of God. And so I tend to agree with our little song. Someone is coming to town to give you gifts on the basis of your obedience and your goodness. If he sees you when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake and knows if you've been bad or good, so yes, if he knows that, you better watch out. I mean, he sees you when you're sleeping, you better watch out. And my point this afternoon is to say that this type of thinking is the furthest thing from the meaning of Christmas that we could possibly imagine. Now, understand where I'm going here. My point is not to dissuade you from incorporating Santa Claus into your Christmas tradition. There are lots of Jesus-loving, biblical Christians who have really good reasons, really biblical reasons for incorporating that into their family traditions. That is not where I'm going. My point is not to say that we should avoid teaching our children that they are earning their Christmas gifts, although I would say that's probably a good idea. But that's not where I'm going. I'm not nearly as concerned about how our children think of Santa Claus as I am about how we think of Jesus. I'm talking about how you and I lose the meaning of Christmas by thinking of Jesus the way that our children think of Santa Claus. You better watch out. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good. Be good. That is not the Christmas message. That is not what Jesus came to say. Be good. Watch out. Be good. For crying out loud. That is not the message of Christmas. That's the message of the law. And it scares people because it offers judgment. It guarantees judgment. I used to work at a coffee shop in Denver that participated in an annual money drive for a charity of some sort. I think it was a children's hospital at Christmas time. And, and what you would do is for $1, you could buy this little thin strip of paper and then you would, and that dollar would then go to the children's hospital. And that piece of paper, you could write your name on it, and then you could just wrap it around, and we stapled it or something, and it made a little link. And then you would take the next person who bought a link, and you would wrap it around, and you, you, you'd start building a chain with all these names on the chains of the people who had done this generous good deed for these children at Christmas time. And the, in the coffee shop, we had some sort of contest, like the, the, the coffee shop uh, that had the biggest chain and, and the most names, you know, uh, got like a pizza party or something. And I was amazed at how much money people would spend on these donations. I couldn't get people to buy a scone to go with their coffee. I was terrible. The, you know, the, the big push is suggestive selling. You know, would you like fries with that? 
That's the, you know, and they would just, they would, they kept telling me, you gotta, you gotta try, you gotta try this more. And I was, I was miserable at it. I'm a terrible salesman. And I could not believe how many little ringlets I sold. It was incredible. I, I, I was just like, man, it, it just, it blows me away that people are willing to drop like 10, 15, 20 bucks to, to help these kids out. I thought, wow, why, why do people do this? I mean, do you think it's motivated? Do you think, do you think it's motivated by the, the joy in the heart that comes from knowing that God has reconciled me to Him apart from anything that I've done so that my heart is just filled with peace and overflowing with joy? I just gotta give. You think that's where it's coming from? I don't think that's where it's coming from. I mean, I don't know what's going on in people's hearts for sure, but I'm guessing that there's a lot of people who are doing it because they're scared. Because they know that they have not been the kind of person that they should have been this year. And their conscience is testifying to them, you have broken God's law. And you need to make up for that this Christmas season. It's not flowing from the joy of peace with God apart from my works. It's flowing from guilt. Because i got to make up some ground. Does the Christmas season bring the do-gooder out in you too? I woke up this morning with a deep sense of guilt. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. I woke up this morning with a deep sense of guilt for my failures as a father. My failure to spend quality time with my kids. My failures to be there when, when I'm there to focus, to play, to invest. And my first response was, I got to make up time today. And it was not driven by the peace that came to me from the gospel. It was totally driven by guilt. So I had to stop and get my heart right with God. Does Christmas bring out in your life, or do you just happen to be the kind of person who tries to make up for your mistakes and ease your conscience with do-gooding? Here's the problem with that method. You can never do enough. You can never make up for the mistakes that you've made. It will never outweigh. You, you've got this whole ring of paper chain in your life. And you set it on the scales in heaven, and it doesn't weigh anything compared to the guilt of your life before a holy God. You cannot make it up. The law brings wrath. If you want to try to stay right with God on the basis of what you can do to make up for your mistakes, you will stand at the end of your days under the wrath of God because you can never make it up. It's the great failure of all the other major religions of the world. They preach law. They tell you to do good. And you can never do enough. The law says work for compensation. Jesus did not come to tell us that. 
He came to put it to an end. Amen? He came to put it to an end. And it's not because the law or justice is bad or evil. It's because God knows that His justice is too much for us to handle because of our sin. Look, if Israel cannot maintain her land on the basis of her obedience, how much less can any of us secure eternal life on the basis of our obedience? And yet, we are legalists at heart. I wake up, I'm a pastor. I wake up in the morning and my first impulse is to justify myself with my deeds today for my failures as a father. I'm a legalist at heart. And I have to battle with the gospel so that I am not motivated to be a good person by guilt. We can't meet the law's demands. So God sent His Son into the world in order to fulfill the demands of God and the demands of God's law on our behalf. You realize that's what Jesus did? He fulfilled the demands of the law. On the one hand, He fulfills the demands of the law by living a perfectly righteous life. Jesus fulfills Leviticus 18.5. Jesus does what God commands. And He gains life on the basis of it. Here's what's awesome. He gives you His record of righteousness. Puts it into your account. Apart from your doing anything, He puts that record into your account when you just trust Him. And He puts into your life the reward. He gives to you the reward of His righteousness. Jesus does and gains life. He gives you His doing and He gives you the reward. He gives you eternal life. Not on the basis of what we've done, but simply through faith. And on the other hand, Jesus fulfills the demands of the law by taking the punishment that is due to those who fail to keep the law. So Jesus does Leviticus 18.5, and then Jesus takes upon himself the curse that is due to those who fail to do Leviticus 18.5. He fulfills the law, and he takes the law's curse upon his own body. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, Galatians 3.13. And by fulfilling the demands of the law, he brings an end once and for all to that do and live system. He puts an end to it. We used to be under the law. If you're in Christ, you used to be under the law. If you're not in Christ, you're still under it, man. You're still under it. But if you're in Christ... You used to be under that law and it stood over you like a stern guardian ensuring that you feared because of the promise of the coming wrath of God. The law was a guardian over us. But Jesus fulfills that law. He delivers us from it and He replaces it with a new system, a new message, a new announcement that functions on an entirely different principle. The, the new announcement doesn't function on the principle of justice. It functions on the principle of God's grace to lawbreakers. The announcement is not do. The announcement is 
grace to lawbreakers. The law says do. Jesus says done. The law says earn. Jesus says freely receive. The law says work. Jesus says believe. It's a totally different principle. And it's a whole new way of gaining life. That's why Paul says in Galatians 3.12, the law is not of faith. Rather, and then guess what he quotes? Leviticus 18.5. The one who does them shall live. That's what the law is. The law is not of faith. But the gospel, the gospel is of faith. That is good news. That is good news. The gospel says, don't work for righteousness, believe and freely receive the gift of righteousness. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. We might be declared righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Through faith. Now that's good news. That's a different message than watch out. Don't stumble your way through the Christmas season with the words, you better watch out, ringing through your head as you think about God. Jesus came to give you a new song, didn't he? It's a new song that we're singing. Start this Christmas not with giving. Don't start with giving. Start with receiving the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Start there. You start there. Your heart, since that peace, being reconciled to a God whose wrath was once directly pointed at you, now has been totally relieved so that you have been reconciled to Him and He is now your Father. And all righteousness has been fulfilled for you. You're wrapped up in Christ like a cloak. God looks on you and all He sees is righteousness. Done everything I told Him to do. Done everything I asked her to do. Because he sees Christ. The one who has fulfilled the law. And if you are in Christ by faith, he sees that. He is so happy to be your father. And the peace that comes into your heart through the Holy Spirit at being reconciled to God, the joy that starts to overflow in your heart, you know what that makes you? It makes you a very generous giver, but for a very different reason. It's not because you're trying to earn anything back from God. It's because He's given you everything. That's a whole different motive for giving this Christmas. You are no longer under the guardian of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so very much that we are not under the law. I thank you so very much that we are 
not living by the do and live principle. Thank you so much for even showing us through Israel's history that for a sinner to try and gain life by means of obedience to your commands is just going to end in curse. I'm thankful that Israel's eternal life was never based on that principle. From beginning to end, eternal life has always been by faith alone in the one true God. Because only you, Lord Jesus, can fulfill all righteousness and have fulfilled all righteousness. And so we thank you for calling us to faith where we lay down our paper chains of works righteousness. We stop boasting in those. We say, if we're going to boast, we're going to boast in what Jesus has done for us because we couldn't do it. Thank you, Lord, for your gospel. I pray it would be the foundation of our Christmas. In Jesus' name.